listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. In his book, Faith Within Reason, the Jesuit theologian Herbert McCabe wrote, If you do not love, you will not be alive. If you love effectively, you will be killed. It's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? If you do not love, you will not be alive. If you love effectively, you will be killed. Now, Herbert McCabe clearly had Jesus in view when he wrote this. But also all of the people, hundreds of thousands over the centuries, who in following Jesus have tried to love effectively and have ended up being killed for it by people, groups, societies that couldn't quite stand that kind of love. I've recently been reading a collection of sermons and other writings by Martin Luther King Jr. And it's abundantly clear that King knew how costly was his practice of effective loving. As early as 1958, he wrote and spoke of that risk, bomb threats, endless harassing and obscene phone calls to his wife, to his family, an actual bombing of his own home. But he also wrote of a pivotal experience of the presence of God in the midst of all of those fears and threats, deep, dark night, when he cried out in his home for direction. At that moment, King writes, at that moment I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. And that anything King knew included death. He was ready to face it. It would be another ten years before he was struck down by an assassin's bullet. But over that decade from 1958 till his death in 68, he was well aware that he was living at risk by loving effectively. And yet, he kept saying to his community, if one day you find me sprawled out dead, I do not want you to retaliate with a single act of violence. I urge you to continue protesting with the same dignity and discipline you have shown so far. If you do not love, you will not be alive, and King was most certainly alive. If you love effectively, though, they may kill you. Think of Jesus as being the one who loved most effectively in all of time in history, whose entire life was an expression and an outpouring of that love. But then don't think of love as being anything like gathering people around a campfire holding hands and singing praise songs about an imagined gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Oh, Jesus could be gentle 
We see it again and again in the gospel accounts as he draws the children close or he touches the broken and sick bodies of people who came to him for restoration or offered a new beginning to that woman caught in adultery. He's gentle, but his love could also be fierce and challenging and for at least some very hard to take. If you love that effectively, they might just kill you for it. Many had dreams, dreams that more than just being that compelling, truth-telling teacher and loving healer, Jesus would turn out to be the one who would pull the people together in an uprising against the Roman Empire, against Pilate, against all of those soldiers who marched in their streets and took their food. That's what a Messiah was expected to do, to free Israel, to free Jerusalem, and start the promised kingdom right then and there. Was Jesus the one? They hoped so. Oh, they hoped so. And it wasn't hard to dream those kinds of dreams because that people carried this story in their own history in which something not unlike that had actually happened. It was about 180 years earlier that a man named Judah Maccabee had led a Jewish rebellion that threw off another empire, the Seleucid Empire of Antiochus Epiphanes. It shouldn't have worked. There's no way that a peasant revolt should have been able to push out an empire of that power, but it did. They won. They reclaimed Jerusalem. They cleansed the temple. And they were a nation again, independent under God. It only lasted about a hundred years. And then in marched the Romans to rule the land again, but they remembered They remembered that once before, with God's help, we threw off an empire. It can, it will, it must happen again. God will send us Messiah to lead us into freedom. Do you know what those Maccabean rebels did as they marched into Jerusalem to reclaim their city? They waved palm branches. Like flags, they wave palm branches. Now think about it. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem with his followers, what did the people greet him with? According to John, palm branches. And they shouted, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. Any more clear uh, an indication as to who and what they thought they were dealing with? The palms and the shouts, they had hopes, dreams, possibilities. They saw it. Now, the disciples may, they should have, they may have known differently. They'd been close to him for those three years. They'd heard all of his teachings. They'd heard him say that the kingdom of God was among them already or within them already. And they'd heard him warn that the Jerusalem temple would fall. It would not last. They'd listened as he warned against fighting the Romans in any rebel way. 
because it would just come back on them and it would come back hard for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Turn the other cheek, he'd said. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. He modeled servanthood to them and on the last night with them, he washed their feet. He told them to do the same for one another and he claimed them as his friends. When they marked their Passover dinner together, the great story meal of Judaism, right? I mean, Passover is the meal that's shared, but it's shared in the context of story. It's a teaching meal. He took the Passover bread and wine, familiar symbols on that table, but then he spun them in a whole new way. This is my body, he'd said. This is my blood. The ancient symbols of an ancient meal now re-narrated for a new movement and a new reality, a new day. Never had they heard such a teaching. They didn't have a clue then what he was talking about. They still didn't get it, not, not yet, not entirely. After the meal, it was out to the Garden of Gethsemane in the dark of night. It's where he said he needed to go, he needed to pray. It was dangerous, always dangerous to be out late at night. Doubly dangerous in the pitch darkness of a garden. He told them to wait, just wait here. And he went deeper into the garden, into the darkness. And he prayed an agonizing prayer because he knew that the time had come. His life of loving effectively, fully and completely was about to come to its end. They were going to kill him. They were, and he knew it. Meanwhile, those disciples, fast asleep. Luke, rather generously, I think, Luke says that they fell asleep because of grief, which probably means that they were so emotionally exhausted from all that he'd said and all that they'd begun to understand that they just collapsed into sleep. Steve Bell, in his song, Stay Awake, kind of nails what Luke is suggesting. He writes, from the perspective of the disciples, it's not like we didn't expect it, but something has changed. There's an agony in all his expression. There's an urgency and dread in his wake. What's this density in my head? Somehow, I can't stay awake. They couldn't. They just couldn't do it. Couldn't manage to push through for that one hour. When the soldiers arrived to arrest him, their continuing lack of understanding, though, came through in in, in two really clear ways. Firstly, one of them drew out a sword and lashed out against the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. According to John's account, it was Peter himself Peter himself who was carrying a sword. Peter himself who reacted in violence. Now, was anyone in the gospel accounts closer to Jesus than Simon Peter? Anyone who should have learned to know better than to carry a sword in the service of this man? Maybe even Peter was still secretly hoping that Jesus would suddenly arise as that revolutionary warrior Messiah they'd been waiting for, so many had been waiting for. Must have been kind of heartbreaking for Jesus to see how little 
those close friends, close followers actually understood. And then they fled into the night, scattering like scared rabbits to save their own skins. They vowed to stand firm, Peter in particular, but they couldn't, at least not yet. They didn't yet understand at all what was going on. They would eventually come to be able to stand firm. They would find their feet, but that's a later chapter in the story. We'll get there for now. On this Palm Sunday when we tell this story and then work our way through to the Garden of Gethsemane in a gospel reading at the end of the liturgy, I just want you to let Herbert McCabe's words sink in. Unsettle, rattle, inspire, or maybe just wake you up. If you do not love, you will not be alive. If you love effectively, you will be killed. Pray we never have to face anything close to what Martin Luther King faced or Dietrich Bonhoeffer faced or those countless unknown and unnamed effective loving Christians faced. But know that the life and person of Jesus still calls us to cut against the grain in so many ways to cut with our love, our alternative effective love, against the grain. It just does. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church, or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.